the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back, listeners. Today you have me again, and I asked Jordan, who runs our podcast, what some of our popular episodes were, and she said, usually uh, urgent care case studies are some of the best ones, so I thought I would do a couple of those today and see if you like those. We could do a whole series of case studies, so that's an option. Let us know. Send us some information over our social media channels and let us know what you'd like to hear. Okay, so case study number one. This is a 58-year-old male who presents complaining of pain and swelling over the right lateral hip after a fall. He was in Colorado and skiing, and he actually fell onto his right hip when he was getting off the ski lift because somebody cut him off. He states it was very painful initially and bruised, but he was able to ambulate, and he continued to ski. So over the next day or so, he said it wasn't horribly painful, but he did notice some bruising, but more importantly, he says that there's like a bag of water or a bag of fluid over his hip in the region of his trochanteric bursa. He said it's bothering him quite a bit because it just feels weird, uh, and it does cause some pain when he lies on the side or there's any direct pressure to that area. He says it really feels weird, and it feels like fluid is squishing around, so he wanted us to take a look. No significant medical history, a little bit of high cholesterol, that's about it. We got some x-rays, and x-rays were negative for fracture, no significant bony abnormality, but you could see a fluid collection over the right lateral hip, and it looked to measure about 5 to 6 centimeters in size. So, what are some possibilities of the diagnosis? I gave you several classic hints there, so I put three things down that I thought we could uh, discuss. So, is this a contusion with a hematoma of the hip? Is it B, a traumatic trochanteric bursitis, or C, a morel lavalle lesion? So if I didn't pronounce morel lavalle correctly, forgive me. I do have a friend who's French, but I haven't had a chance to ask him how to pronounce that correctly. So this is how I've heard it pronounced. So there you go. All right. Which one is it? A contusion hematoma, traumatic trochanteric bursitis, or morel lavalle lesion? A contusion hematoma is a possibility, but with the fluid collection, the bag of fluid, like the patient's describing, I'm more concerned about the morel lavalle lesion. A liquefying hematoma is a possibility, but in my experience, typically hematomas are more rigid and firm, at least initially, but as some of the blood breaks down and the blood products break down, it can become liquefied. I've seen traumatic trochanteric bursitis many times, but usually that's more like bruising in hematoma haven't really seen, you know, it cause a fluid collection. So, what is a morel lavalle lesion, which is the correct answer? It is a degloving or shearing injury where the skin and dermis separate from the fascia. It creates a space of fluid, serosanguinous fluid, and collects fat cells that become necrotic. It usually happens from a very high energy trauma. More minor lesions kind of the one described here, like with a fall directly onto the hip, more severe lesions, the larger ones are usually associated with fractures like pelvis, hip, and femur fractures. Think high energy auto accident. So it's kind of, I've seen several of these in my years in urgent care. And one fellow 
was on a, a snowmobile. He was on a snowmobile and he went flying and the snowmobile went one way, he went the other, landed on his back. I've seen one where somebody was trying to stop a truck that was in neutral rolling backwards and fell and the wheel ran over her leg. And she had a pretty significant one with some nerve injuries. I can't remember the rest of them, but I've seen a few of these. So how do you treat it? Well, it depends on the dog's preference, and it also depends on the size of the lesion. So most of the ones I've seen, we tried to treat with compression wraps. The problem is, as you can imagine, think trochanteric bursa. How do you do a compression wrap there that you can comply with or like in the lower back? It's difficult to do, so patient compliance is difficult. Some people would recommend taping, like with K-tape. Others would use an ACE wrap with some padding to compress it. But you have to be compliant with that for it to be helpful. The first one of these, I think I tried to do aspirations, but it came back almost right away. It's almost like a prepatellar bursitis, you know, doing serial aspirations. The literature talks about doing a percutaneous drain, although I haven't seen that. I haven't seen the physicians I work with do those when I sent them on. And I couldn't find information on this, but I would suspect that injecting steroids after an aspiration, taking like a sclerosing kind of thing, I think that would be a relative contraindication. I don't know if it's absolute or not, or if it even is, but this diagnosis carries a significant risk of infection, especially in the larger lesions. So you, you don't want to do anything that's going to potentially potentiate an infection. So I, I don't know about steroids. I'd be cautious with that. Larger lesions usually require an IND. My experience, as I said, those were associated with pelvic and acetabular fractures. The ones I've seen, we were able to treat conservatively, except for, I think, maybe two. And the IND, according to the literature I read, an open IND as opposed to the percutaneous strain has less potential complications. And the other benefit of doing an open IND is it allows you to debride some of the necrotic fat cells. If there were associated fractures and you required exposure to address the fractures, then there was a description of a dual incision IND. So you make your incisions away from where you're going to do your surgery. So that's all I've got on my first case study. That's the Morel Lavalet lesion. And not uncommon. You might see these in urgent care. So take a look. Okay, case study number two. This is a seven-year-old right-hand dominant female who comes into the clinic grasping her right hand, doesn't want anybody to touch it or look at it. She states she was in a car when her mom accidentally closed her finger in the door. And let me tell you folks, this happens a lot, more than you would expect. I see it all the time in urgent care. Her finger, the one that was smushed, is the middle finger, and it's quite swollen. And she says that she's having trouble moving it, and it's quite painful. Mom states that she has no significant medical history or allergies. So we took a look at the finger, and she has an edematous echomotic distal phalanx of the long finger of the right hand. It's kind of flexed like a mallet, and she can't extend it at all at the DIP. There's more than a 75% subungual hematoma, and the nail plate is subluxed beyond the epinechial fold. So she really smushed this. Her sensation is intact to light touch, so, you know, I, I think she smashed it pretty well, but she does have sensation there. And we got some x-rays. X-rays show on the AP widening of the physis of the distal phalanx and a flexion deformity on the lateral. No obvious foreign bodies were seen. So with this kind of crushing injury and findings on x-ray, what would be our diagnoses? So here are three options. A, a contusion 
or crushing injury of the finger. B, a Seymour fracture, and that's spelled capital S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. And C, a Salter-Harris type 1 fracture. So, what do you think? All right, even though this is a crushing injury and contusion, granted, and this is typically a Salter 1 or 2 fracture, the best answer is Seymour fracture. She has a classic injury, classic descriptions of this. Unfortunately for her and mom, this most likely needs to be treated as an ORIF and uh, debrided with some pins put across the DIPJ. The nail needs to be removed, uh, the fracture reduced, and like I said, irrigation and debridement. These are like an open fracture with a nail bed injury. If there was a laceration uh, across the nail bed associated with a fracture, I mean, that's basically an open fracture, so you got to treat it as such. She'll be treated with antibiotics, and CRPP is an option, but if the soft tissue that's interposed in the fracture site is not removed, that could result in some chronic osteo or other problems. So typically, the hand docs that I've worked with will do these open. If there is not much of a nail bed injury and, say, less than 50% subungal hematoma, you can probably treat it conservatively. Risks are if there is soft tissue interposed in the physis infection, chronic osteomyelitis in malunion or nonunion, possible physeal arrest. So that is a Seymour fracture. And let me tell you, if you're working in urgent care, you're going to see some crushing injuries to the fingers. It happens all the time. All right, folks, that's all I've got for this week. I hope that this is helpful for you, and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Ortho PAC. Please follow the Physician Assistance in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review. 